um, our team. I have personally prayed for you ladies. Um, and so I want you to know that God has drawn you here. He, he has a, a plan and a purpose in our time together. And so um, you have been prayed for. And I just wanted to encourage you with that. We will continue to be in prayer for you as well. So, all right. So I thought the best way to introduce 2 Corinthians is to do a quick review of Paul's ministry with the church in Corinth. Now, certainly this won't be an extensive review because Paul's ministry uh, to the church in Corinth was a span of seven years. And so we don't have time to get into all the nuts and the bolts of that. And we're going to do that in just a moment. Um, but first, I wanted to, uh, if you are taking notes, to be sure that you note that there are four recorded letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And we covered two of them in our first study of um First Corinthians, and the remaining two letters we're going to be tackling uh, in our study of Second Corinthians. So as I review the timeline, I want you to be sure to know how they are woven in and what events are transpiring, because the context is paramount to our understanding of these passages clearly. And so those four letters are the first letter that Paul wrote is recorded in First Corinthians 5.9, and that is called a previous letter mentioned. Okay. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. The second letter would be the book of first Corinthians itself. The third letter would be a letter that is referred to in second Corinthians two, three, and four. And that is a tearful, it's called a tearful, severe letter. Again, we'll be referencing that later. And then the fourth letter would be the book of 2 Corinthians. And so Acts 18 records the very beginning of the Corinthian church, uh, sometime between 52-50 AD. And Paul had labored in Corinth for 18 months as this church was forming before he left for Ephesus to plant churches with Priscilla and Aquila. And while ministering in Ephesus, Paul receives word that the church in Corinth wasn't doing so good. In fact, they were really struggling with sexual immorality and sin. And so 1 Corinthians 5.9 tells us that Paul responds to them by sending them a letter addressing the sexual sin and admonishing the church not to associate with the sexually immoral people. And this is the first letter that I just talked about a moment ago. And this letter has not survived. It is not part of 1 Corinthians, but it is mentioned in 1 Corinthians. And so it's not in our New Testament, but we do know that Paul wrote that letter. And as Paul continues his ministry in Ephesus, he's receiving reports that aren't aren't well. In fact, there's people in Chloe's household contacting him about disturbances and fractions within the church in Corinth, and that it's followed up uh, by a letter from the church. And they had very specific questions for Paul. And since Paul was unable to leave the ministry that he had um, going on at the time, he sends Timothy to Corinth to deal with some of these problems. And he follows up with another letter to answer the questions. And so this letter was written probably in the spring of... 
55, 54 AD, uh, about three years after the church was founded. And this letter is our second letter, which is the book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul uses this letter to address and bring the necessary correction to a wide array of topics that the Corinthian church was struggling. Uh, struggling with, such as doctrine, divisions, quarrel, lawsuits, marriage, singleness, order and worship, the Lord's Supper, and of course, the ongoing sexual immorality. But sadly, the first Corinthians rejected Paul's teaching, teachings and questioned his authority. And at this point, Paul's thinking, I need to make another trip back to Corinth, because you know what? Sending letters and text messages aren't always the best way to address strife, right? <laughs> and so Paul heads back to Corinth, uh, probably around 56, 55 AD. And certainly that trip did not go as he was hoping or planned, because he describes this trip as a very painful trip. That's in 2 Corinthians 2.1. And we learn in chapters two, chapters five, seven, and eight, and 11, that this visit was so painful because the church called into question Paul's apostolic authority and the gospel when one of the leaders severely attacked Paul himself. The false teaching of Paul's opponents horrifically had led many astray, and it resulted in the Corinthians accepting another view of Jesus and even the gospel. Facing all of this tremendous confrontation, Paul leaves Corinth and he returns back to Ephesus in the midst of this large-scale rebellion. And 2 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, provides some insight into Paul's humanity because he records there that how he was feeling at the time, and, and certainly, I imagine, very overwhelmed because it says that he determined not to make another painful visit. Not to make another painful visit. Can you identify with a visit that didn't really go so well and you don't have the urgency to run back to that? So it's important to note, though, that Paul's choosing to leave was not because he was weak. It wasn't because he was coward. It wasn't because he was filled with malice. Even though the false prophets tried to spread that rumor after he left, he was just human. Even though Paul suffered humiliation rather than retaliating in order to extend mercy to the Corinthian church, Paul was wise and he discerned that the time was needed for healing the raw emotions that both sides were facing. And so even in his uh, in his pain, uh, Paul exemplifies Christ's likeness and humility as he chose not to lord over the church. And he withdrew and took a step back. But as I said, we can't just forget about the fact that he was really impacted by this and he didn't have a desire to go back anytime soon. That's how raw the pain was for him. And so Paul does go back to Ephesus, back to the church planning and still distraught over the condition of the church. I'm sure Paul decides to send Titus back to the church in Corinth because Paul was their spiritual father. He was there 
he he poured his life into the work of this church and he was greatly concerned for their spiritual well-being and so he then sends Titus back around 56 AD with a third letter to the church. And in this letter, he warns of God's judgment and called the Corinthians to repent. And we find that in chapter two and chapters seven and eight. And this third letter is described as a severe one. It was written with anguish and tears. Now, I don't know about you, but I love that scripture records that because we can really identify with anguish and tears, can we not? And Paul, it's not it's not hard to understand why he would be feeling so much anguish and tears. As I said, he founded this work. He poured his life into this work. Um he developed close relationships with these people. He watched new believers come to Christ and disciple them. He loved them. He loved them like family. And then what happens is they're attacking him. They're betraying him. They're undermining his ministry. They're making false accusations against him. Only to have his grief compounded by the fact that many abandon truth and were led astray. That is a sorrow. Have you ever discipled somebody and, and poured into uh, their your relationship with them and leading them to Christ and walking with them and to have them walk away? It is a great sorrow. It is a great sorrow. And so Paul's ministry in Corinth provides a sobering picture of ministry and the many sacrifices and sufferings that Christ followers have been called to endure. And I have personally, I want to just say this, I have personally witnessed these kind of attacks against our own pastors and our own church leadership. And it is a very real and present evil that wasn't just ancient Corinth. It's in our churches today. And so I just wanted to take this moment to encourage you, encourage you to be on your knees praying for our pastors, be on your knees praying for our church leadership. They are just human. They need our prayers. And so we have no idea the spiritual warfare that they are up against because we know it's great. We know it is great. And so after Titus left for Corinth, Paul goes to Troas to pursue ministry and to wait for Titus to return with an update from the church on Corinth. But when Titus delayed in returning, Paul is fearful for his safety, as well as what the condition of the church might be in. And so Paul leaves Troas and he heads to Macedonia to find Titus. And it's there that 2 Corinthians 2 and chapter 7 tells us that Paul receives the joyful news that God greatly used his letter written in tears to bring about repentance in the majority of the church. And I don't know about you, but as I was studying this, I, it's just so much great encouragement. Have you ever just sown something in tears and to see God work and redeem that? And so I love that scriptures recorded this. And, and so Paul has this great joy, but he also, again, wisely discerns. It's only the majority. 
And what does that mean? There's still a minority that are not on the same page. And so that little bit 11, Paul needs to take care of. And so realizing that there's still this rebellious minority he cont that continues to reject his apostolic authority and they were trying to hijack the Corinthian community. I mean, the Christian community there in Corinth responds by writing the fourth letter, which is second Corinthians. And this fourth letter was written in Macedonia about a year or so after first Corinthians. So now we're talking about four ish years after the inception of the church in Corinth. That's a lot of drama in a short amount of time, is it not? That is a lot. And so indeed, this letter describes what Charles Swindoll says is, quote, a vivid picture of raw but real ministry that sheds a stark light on the inferior motives, methods, and messages of false ministers. And so Paul wrote 2 Corinthians with the goal of strengthening the repentant majority, while at the same time seeking to win back the rebellious minority. He also wanted to prepare them for his upcoming visit to the Corinthians, at which time he would punish those who continue to reject him and the gospel. This is their last chance to repent and demonstrate their faith. And so 2 Corinthians provides for us a really raw uh, peek into Paul's personal life, where he freely expresses his feelings about himself and ministry. And we will read things like Paul dealt with some really real life emotions, real life stress, real life anxiety, sorrow, despair. And Charles Wendell says, quote, because of God's grace, Paul never lost himself in the perplexing events of life. He never reached a point where he felt devoid of hope or separated from God's sustaining mercy. In the midst of his struggles, he found the presence of Christ, unquote. So why should we study 2 Corinthians? Many refer to it as a, as a manual for ministry. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, I, I change diapers for a living. I, what am I going to do with 2 Corinthians? Well, I'm so glad you asked because I want to answer this question by a quote from um, a professor at Wheaton College. His name is Dan Ortland. And he says that the micro theme running through 2 Corinthians looked over and over from different angles, is the way up is down. The way up is down. The pathway to joy is through sorrow. Death brings life. Comfort comes through affliction. The most substantial, radiant men and women who we meet are those who bear scars, who have endured dark valleys, and they walked with Christ instead of growing cynical. And so the reason I'm tempted to say that the Christian life is impossible to live without 2 Corinthians is that we all walk through pain in different ways, for different reasons, at different seasons of life, hardship washes over us, doesn't it? So how could we possibly remain sane and cheerful without God's insistence through his letter that his deepest consolations are mediated to us in not after sorrow, unquote.
And so this is the theme that runs through the letter. And he points out these themes throughout the chapter. I want to share some with you. I, I hope it encourages you. My heart just exploded with, with gratitude to the Lord because with a few exceptions, the whole letter of Second Corinthians draws out this truth. Chapter one, we find that there is comfort through affliction, deliverance through burdening, grace through simplicity, joy through pain. Chapter two, victory through captivity. Chapter three, sufficiency through insufficiency, transformation through unveiling. Chapter four, ministry Oh, excuse me, life through death, renewal through corrosion, chapter five, dwelling through homelessness, sinlessness through sinfulness, blessing, chapter six, blessing through suffering, welcoming through separation, chapter seven, joy through grief, eight, abundance through poverty, nine, reaping through giving, 10, condemnation through denigration. And I can go on and on through each of these chapters. Oh, God's got a good word for us. He's got a good word for us. And he wants to use 2 Corinthians to encourage and strengthen us. And do you know one of the key words in this letter? It's comfort. It's comfort. In fact, um, the Greek word for this means called to one's side. And this verb is used 18 times in this letter, 18 times. And in spite all that Paul has been through, because of that comfort that he has in Christ Jesus, and because of the all-sustaining power and life that he has in Christ Jesus, he penned 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will be not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about the body of the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who are alive and are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus can be manifested in our mortal flesh. And that's what we're here to do. The power and the blessings and life that we have in Christ Jesus far exceed anything that we're facing today. Amen. So if you need this encouragement, and I think many of us do, I'm so glad that you're here with us to journey together. Are you ready to get started? All right. Well, let's pray together and ask the Lord to open our eyes that we'll be willing to receive all that he has for us. Oh, precious Lord, we just thank you so much for the encouragement of your word. Lord, your word is altogether pure and right. It is a guide. It corrects, it pierces, it comforts. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, but Lord God, mostly our hearts 
to allow your word to penetrate, to choose to deliberately act on it and meditate on it so that our minds can be transformed, Lord, so that our lives through every struggle, through every suffering, Lord, would reflect your glory. Lord, we want to be women who pursue Jesus with all of our hearts. Help us, Lord. We need you. We desperately need you to do that. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the thanksgiving. In your name we pray. Amen.